Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, we're going to be in chapter 11 of John's Gospel. We're in the fifth week now of our study through the statements that Jesus makes, um, that, that where he says, I am, and then he gives us uh, an indication of who he is. And, and the, the two words, I am, give us an understanding that Jesus is claiming to be God, right? And then also, uh, these, these follow-up statements that he makes, these follow-up understandings that he gives us, shows us and demonstrates to us um, something very specific about the person of Jesus Christ. Something very, very specific about the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the statement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's, that's kind of fitting because we're just a few Sundays away from, from uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, but there's something very specific going on here that we need to key in on, um, even as we prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday. So if you're in the book of John chapter 11, we're going to read a relatively large chunk of text this morning. Mark asked me this week how my preparation was going, and I said, you know, it's going really well. Um, I'm doing some trimming. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm, I think I could probably preach for about two hours on this text. Um, and uh, he said, well, good job on trimming then. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, and so I only have about an hour and 45 minutes for you this morning. <laughs> Which is, yeah, a joke, and you got that, so good. I'm glad. Especially we're, like, getting up and walking out right now. Um, so, so we're going to read this, this large chunk of text this morning. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. And that, that's a big chunk, but there's so much going on here. Context, when we approach Scripture, context is so important for us. Context is so important for us. We cannot come to a passage of Scripture and, and, and read it in a vacuum. If we do that, we're going to vastly misinterpret, vastly misunderstand what, what is being communicated to us. Through the Holy Spirit, through uh, His servant John. This morning, I got up and uh, did my, got ready, whatever, and I saw Rebecca, and she had gotten ready, and she said to me, hey, our van is dead. Oh, we, the, the battery's dead in our van. I said, okay. Um, okay, well, that means that, I said, okay, well, I, I, I don't have time right now. And she had the kids, and they were doing something, and she, I said, I don't have time right now to, to, to help, and because and, uh, i got to head out. And she, well, that was a pretty, pretty poor way of putting that. But she told, she said to me, she was like, well, well, thank you. And like, sarcastically. And I was like, and we sort of had this thing. But, but in that moment, what was important was the context of what was going on. I was saying, I don't have time to help you. I mean, I don't have time to help you with the kids right now. I'm going to go jump the van for you. Um, and she took it to me and, well... Figure it out yourself, and, and, and then just and walk away. So, so context for us is important. I did a poor job of giving her context of what I was saying. So when we approach Scripture, we need to approach it the same way. If we just, if we just take a couple of verses at a time, if we just take a couple of verses uh, in a vacuum, we're going to do the exact same thing, right? We're going to look at that, and we're going to think to ourselves, okay, what does this mean? Well, it's really hard to derive an understanding from what, what scripture, for what Scripture is saying to us, if we do it in that kind of vacuum. So, we're looking at uh, John chapter 11. And let's read these 45 verses together. I know that sounds like a lot. We'll get through it, I promise. Um, I promise. Okay, here we go. Now, a certain man was sick, 
Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped her feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not, unto, does not, end, is not to end in death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, or and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, after, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know what whatever, that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb, now, it was, it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, Do, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I say it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around them, around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. What I pray is we dive into it and we consider what it means for us. What it, consider what it is teaching us about who you are and who we are in light of that and what we're called to. Lord God, I pray now that our, our minds would be open, that our hearts would be moved, Lord, and we would understand and see you afresh. And that we'd be compelled to respond as those who desire and who are free to obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, big chunk of text this morning. Big chunk of text. But I want to give you uh, sort of this, this understanding. There, there's a lot going on here. But I think one of the primary things that Jesus is addressing for us, one of the primary things that Jesus is addressing when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and throughout the whole, uh, the whole big chunk of text that we just read, is that uh, Jesus is addressing belief. The understanding of belief. He wants the people to believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he himself is God. And that's the whole purpose of this text. So, let me give you the big idea then for this morning. And we'll dive into a couple places here and, and sort of tease this understanding out. Here's the big idea. Jesus' proclamation that he is the resurrection and the life indicates that he is God and Despite the inevitability of physical death, the ultimate object of belief which results in eternal life. Jesus' proclamation that he is the resurrection of life indicates that he is God, and despite the inevitability of physical death, the ultimate object of belief which results in eternal life. And so Jesus is getting at right here. He's getting at an understanding that the, the people... In this text, the Jews, Mary, Martha, everyone who's part of this has, a, has an underlying belief that he is Messiah. But, but even with Mary, or uh, with the proclamation that Martha makes, uh, in verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes to the world. We have in two different places both Martha and Mary saying, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And so Jesus has to correct, he has to, he has to push their, their faith, he has to push their belief a little bit farther in this text. He has to push it out beyond what, he, what they have seen and heard thus far in order that they might believe that he is the resurrection and the life. So three places in this text we want to look at this morning. Verses 5 and 6, because this one is hard. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
That's weird. So let, we'll come back to that. And then we want to talk about verse 43. Verse 43, where Jesus says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And then we want to kind of conclude and culminate in verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Okay, so let's dive into this, this, the, these two verses, verses 5 and 6 to begin. And I hope that you see what's going on here, because this is weird. This, this feels a little strange, right? So we, when we read this, when we read these couple of verses, now Lazarus lo or Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The, the, this ties in strongly, I hope, or this ties in strongly to what we talked about last week, where we talked about Jesus is the good shepherd. We talked about Jesus is the good shepherd, that he, he loves his sheep, that he protects them, that he provides impenetrable, impenetrable protection for his sheep. And also, that, uh, that he knows his sheep in a deep and intimate way. Um, and remember we made this statement last week. Sometimes difficulties are providentially allowed to persist in our lives in order to protect us from the wolves. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He is leading his sheep, and he is, he is guiding us, and he is directing us, and he is protecting us from the wolves. The wolves being, we, we talked about this as well, the wolves not necessarily being the difficulties that we run up in life, against in life, but sin, Satan, the world, the threats that we face uh, to our, and the, this is why this is teasing this idea out a little bit more, the threats to our belief in Jesus. And this is Jesus as the Good Shepherd, this protection for us. So uh, this means sometimes allowing these difficulties to persist. So what we see in verses 5 and 6 this morning, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer? Does that, does that seem to make sense to you? Does that seem to make sense to you? At first glance, it doesn't make sense, right? Why would, why would he stay? Why would he not immediately go? It's like, is there a sense of urgency here? It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency here. But Jesus recognized that there was something coming where he needed to push the faith, where he needed to press the belief of the people who are going to observe what follows in this text a little bit farther. And in lies here, something very specific for us, in lies here an understanding of who Jesus is and, and what he came to do, and that he isn't in the business of making life easy, that he isn't in the business of making life comfortable. Whatever your idea of comfort is, I don't know if it's like laying on a pillow and having someone feed grapes to you. I don't, I don't know if that, that maybe, that I think that's kind of like the caricature of comfort, right? It's a caricature of comfort. That, that's not what Jesus intends. That's not, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus isn't addressing uh, the, the, the enemies of comfort in your world. In fact, he's doing quite the opposite. So hear me now. We like to be affirmed in our in our life here on this earth. I think that's, a, that's kind of like a sinful tendency. I think I think it's not bad. It's just just like any sin, it's kind of been twisted a little bit. Like our our desire for affirmation, for personal affirmation. 
But I'm telling you right now, if, if your primary pursuit in your life is comfort, I'm telling you, that's wrong. Like, you need to move beyond that. Jesus came to die, to deal with sin. To deal with the, the things that separated us from God the Father, that, that broke our relationship with Him, so that we might be restored to Him. That's what Jesus came to die for. And, and again, I, we, we've been talking about this throughout the course of this study, is the idea that we, as people, sometimes just think, well, I, I just can't get through this day, there's just all these things going on. We have to reorient our minds to understand that if our lives don't look fundamentally different when we trust Christ, that's not because we're doing it wrong. It's not because we're doing it wrong. It's because He is growing you. He is using the things in your world that are difficult in order to make you into the likeness of Christ. And that's what he's doing here. He's pushing. He's pushing the idea of belief. He's pushing the idea of faith. He's pushing the trust. He's pushing these boundaries. So this thing that John writes then, Jesus is doing what, what John's purpose for the book is. Right? Remember what, what Jesus is, or what John's purpose for the book is? We, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute here, a little bit more depth. But his purpose in, in John 20, 30-31, he writes this very clearly at the end of the book. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life. This is exactly what's going on in this text. They're going to witness a sign. They're going to witness almost the, the most ultimate, you know, a foreshadowing of Jesus' own resurrection. In order that the people who observe, that observe, might believe. Jesus is working on something way bigger than this life. And that's why he lingers. That's why he lingers in verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer. Look at verse 4. Just, just look back at verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by it. And if you were a, a participant in this story, you would, you would hear what Jesus said, and then you would see him not move for two days, and you would think to yourself, What is Jesus doing? He just lied to us. But that is not what Jesus is doing. He says, the sickness is not unto death, but the glory of God, so the Son of Man may be glorified. The question when we see something like this is, how do we behold that glory? And the response is, what we see as the focal point of this text, by belief in Him. The belief that Jesus in his very person is addressing your longing for satisfaction. Addressing the, in his very person your longing for understanding. The belief that Jesus is addressing your inability to be set apart on your own. The belief that he's addressing your desire to be assured and protected. The belief uh, in Jesus 
that He is addressing your need to be loved, your need to be known. <coughs> and He knows you intimately because He created you, because He is God. So we see here that in this text, in, in, in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, Jesus is doing exactly what he's calling the people to, and that is, uh, or pushing exactly what he's calling the people to, is that's, that's belief. In John's gospel, he talks about belief as a concept over 90 times. You see that word pop up over 90 times in his gospel. And we see uh, six here in this text alone. It makes sense that he would use that word if his purpose is so that we would see and believe and taste and understand the signs that Jesus performed in order that we might behold the glory of Jesus Christ. So Jesus lingers as we sort of Transition away from verses 5 and 6 here. Jesus lingers because the belief of those who witnessed the death and subsequent raising of Lazarus is essential. And remember this, that sometimes difficulties are allowed to providentially persist in our lives in order to protect us from the wolves. Okay, look forward then. Uh, to the end of this passage, in verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. This is an essential part of this, of this text because this is where the sign is actually performed. And Jesus is calling out to Lazarus to demonstrate that he is God, right? This is, this is building this idea further for us. It's building this idea by the word of his power, Jesus raises the dead. The same word that created all things. The same word that we even have before us this morning. Jesus' word takes things that are not and makes them into things. Jesus' word takes death and it turns it to life. So Jesus is calling out this idea of belief again. Jesus is calling out to Lazarus in order, through the word of his power, to raise Lazarus from the dead. In order that we might believe, the people around him might believe. This idea, he waits two days, and then, and then they say, he's been dead for four days. There's, there's no doubt that this guy's dead. right? There's no doubt that he's dead. It's not like, oh man, he, you know, he's dead for five minutes. It's like his heart stopped beating or something. No, he's wrapped up in a tomb. He's dead. He's gone. Jesus is going to perform this sign so that people would believe that the Father sent him. Let me read you this quote. Um, it's from a, a gentleman named Craig Blomberg. He wrote this book. It's called Jesus in the Gospels, where he just kind of like combines and, and, and sort of like harmonizes what's going on in, 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 in the four Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Let me read this quote for you. The central focus of John 11, of course, is the revivification, that's a hard word to say, revivification miracle, which is looking to be revived itself. 
Jesus has shown deep emotion upon the arrival of the tomb. His strong emotions are responding not only to the death, to, to death's apparent victory, but also to his contemporaries' unbelief. So we see some strong language here. But Jesus, Jesus is coming. He's he's distraught, right? He's he's. We, we have this verse which is Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse. He's he's upset because Lazarus is dead. Like, there's no doubt about it. But part of this emotional outpouring that we have from Jesus is because he wants these people so desperately to believe. It's like, I'm so frustrated that you've seen all of these signs that I've performed, and yet you still have yet to believe that even death can't hold. Jesus understood unbelief to be a great, great threat. And we need to as well. And that leads us to this understanding. And kind of our, our next sort of uh, our next sort of understanding of, of the, this text when we look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus calling out to Lazarus to show that he is, one, that he is God. Two, that he is addressing the unbelief of the people. But then three, that he is the resurrection and the life. So look back now to verses 25 and 26. John reports this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So what, what Jesus is communicating here is this sign that he's about to perform and, and does perform when he calls out to Lazarus, come forth. This is not, again, something that he does but who he is. It's innate. It's part of his very person. So I was reflecting on, on, on the Gospel of John as a whole this week, and I was thinking about some of the very unique uh, angles and tacks that he takes, because there's, there's a whole lot of unique material in, in the Gospel of John. So if you read the first three Gospels, which are commonly called the Synoptic Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and a lot of, the three, a lot of those three share some material, right? They share some material. Um, and, and a lot of the focus of those, uh, those Gospels is to demonstrate what Jesus did and his work. So we have, we have Jesus' work being clearly shown to us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then in John, John gives us this beautiful contrast and understanding, like a, a brand new understanding of who Jesus is. Again, remember, John writes this Gospel late in his life. He writes this after he's had a long time to sort of reflect. This is great music, by the way. He's a long time to reflect on, on what Jesus did, what he said, and, and, and who he was. And John said, you know what we really need to, or what I really need to communicate through the prompting of the Holy Spirit is the understanding of who Jesus is, the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of even why we have all these I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. That understanding that Jesus is able to raise from the life is raised to life. And take up his own life again, even as we saw in last week's passage, is the understanding that that is contained within his very person. He is the resurrection and life. 
He is he's not just raising, He is the resurrection and the life. And look at personal belief and how vital it is here. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. He who believes in me. We've talked a lot about community. We've talked a lot about how like, the focus in a lot of places is on community and how, uh, how many of the biblical authors are addressing groups of people. But, but, but Jesus, John records Jesus speaking directly to, in, in a singular sort of way. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. All of a sudden we got really personal here. And then he asks Martha a very, very personal question. He doesn't say, does everyone here believe? He says, do you believe? Okay. We, we have to take this, this sort of like tangent here. We have to do this. Because belief is a pretty like common word in our culture. And when, when you see the word believe or belief in, in scripture, it's the same word as faith with the same word as trust. And, okay, so who remembered, I'm, I'm sure you all did, the, the, that movie Prince of Egypt? You remember that that animated film? Just like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston singing like that that song. And, and, um, um, and, and like sort of like the primary, uh, the chorus, whatever musical term, you know, that musical term? The... When, 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 uh, what would it, okay, so I have it. Um, there will be miracles when you believe. Remember that? Remember that song? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, this is the contemporary understanding of belief. But not, I'm not saying you can't like that song, but it's not the biblical understanding of belief. in Rocky World. You can watch Prince of Egypt. It's a good movie. Okay. There can be miracles when you believe. And this is not what we see going on in this text or throughout Scripture, right? Okay, so just, just, just indulge me here. Verses 13 through 15. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 42, I knew that you always hear, or I knew that you always hear me. This is his prayer, Jesus' prayer. But I, because of the people standing around, I said, so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw him, and that he had and what he had done, and believed in him. Jesus is acting as God, as one who has authority over death, so that the observers, and subsequently we, as the readers of this text, might believe in him as the resurrection and the life. We might believe in him as the resurrection and the life. We sort of get this backwards, right? God's ability is not to, to perform miracles or to, to do signs through Jesus or wherever we see signs performed throughout Scripture is not predicated upon our belief. In fact, it's quite the opposite. 
Those are intended to engender belief in us. They're intended to engender belief in us. In order that He, that God, might demonstrate that He is, in Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. I hope this gives you a better glimpse to what we talked about last week. Which is like, Jesus is the good shepherd. I hope this gives you a little bit of, of a better glimpse. So, if, if we have sin, Satan, in the world as the wolves, they are the enemies. And God is allowing, like, these difficulties to providentially persist in our lives, in our world. We then might understand that we are being protected from the wolves because Jesus is the good shepherd. And then we need to ask ourselves the question, like, what are these difficulties or problems that are persisting in our world? And then we have to ask ourselves, how is it that God is using those to shape me into the likeness of Christ? Maybe things at work are great. You don't get along with your boss. Maybe there's, there's no opportunity for, maybe you're in just a dead-end spot. Maybe you're dealing with depression in your life. Maybe, maybe you're Maybe your children don't sleep at night. Because that's hard. Maybe your marriage is in shambles. Things just aren't going well. Maybe it's strained. Maybe you're not sure how financially, how ends are going to be this month. Don't underestimate the fact that Jesus let someone he loved deeply, Lazarus, die. Don't, don't, don't misunder, underestimate the fact that in verse 6, when he heard that he was sick and that he knew that it was terminal or, or life-threatening, he stayed two days longer. Don't underestimate that fact. He let someone he loved deeply die in order to protect his own, his sheep, those who the Father had given him from the wolves. These difficulties persist that you might unwaveringly believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Sin is a great enemy. It is the greatest enemy. Satan and the world take our situations and our circumstances and our lives and I twist them and say, you cannot trust God. You cannot trust Jesus. They cultivate unbelief in our hearts. That's the, that's the threat. They take all of that trash, all that garbage that's out there on the periphery, and they say, redirect your focus, redirect your gaze. This is more satisfying. This can bring understanding to you. Here's knownness. Here's set-apartness. Do this, and you'll be protected. Those are lies. So let's conclude here this morning. Let, let, let's conclude. Here's an admonition for you as we consider this text, as we consider Jesus as the resurrection and life in uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. This is what this text is intended to do. It's intended to battle our unbelief.
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you believe in him, you will live even if you die physically. And here, even as we see here, it's not so much the belief that's important, but the object of that belief. There's a popular cultural notion that says, you're like, believe in yourself. This doesn't get you very far. It just doesn't. It's, it's a nice thing, but it, it, it doesn't get you far. The object is of utmost importance. So we talk about growing in our gospel understanding, and this is, this is essential as we consider what this text means for us in our daily lives. The gospel is good news because it finds its substance in the very person of Jesus Christ. It finds its substance there. And you and I are incapable of mustering up enough faith or belief. Remember, those words are the same. Faith, belief, trust. Uh, we're, we're incapable of mustering that up uh, outside of Jesus Christ. Outside of a deep and abiding knowledge and a love and affection for Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews writes for us in, in, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 of that book, after giving us a bunch of examples of faith and what faith looks like in chapter 11. After giving us a bunch of examples of faith, of men and women of faith, he writes this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the gospel. Jesus gives us belief. He is the author of belief. He is the author of our faith. He grants that to us. So don't buy into that lie, the, the, the Christian notion of faith, of belief, of trust, that says that those concepts or those ideas span some sort of gap. They're not where you fill in the blanks. Christian subculture loves to talk about this. And, and so, okay, so, okay. Hear me here. We say things like, well, I guess you just have to have a little faith. We're not sure how this is all going to pan out. But that's why faith is important. That's not why faith is important. Hebrews 11, verse 1, gives us the very definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know anything that I have to muster up on my own to, to, to span a gap where the definition includes assurance and conviction. Faith in the promise that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That engenders belief in our own heart. And just like Mary and Martha and Lazarus have heard the very words of Christ come forth, we also have heard those words come forth. 
The same word that spoke all of creation into existence has spoken into your heart and said, come forth. Paul puts it undeniably in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, dead spiritually, even as Lazarus was dead physically, dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we have been saved through faith as that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. The object of your faith is so certain, nothing could be more certain. You're not spanning gaps with your faith. You are trusting something that is far more certain than anything. That's why we're looking at these I am statements, because we earnestly desire and yearn to know Jesus Christ. So we battle our unbelief with the certainty of the object, the certainty of Jesus Christ. We have promises in Jesus that are fulfilled in Him and will be fulfilled in Him. The 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote this. And no one, no one has better words to this very, uh, this very topic than Jonathan Edwards. He wrote this. Saving faith implies it's in its divine... Or, let me start that again. Saving faith implies in its nature divine love. Our love to God enables us to overcome the difficulties that attend keeping God's commands, which shows that love is the main thing for saving faith, the life and the power of it by which it produces great effects. For Edwards, for John, for Jesus, overcoming the difficulties that attend, the difficulties that are present in our lives on a daily basis, is the very recognition that Jesus is God, and that He is the resurrection and the life. And that we can know and love Him because of what He has done for us. This text, this morning, I would encourage you to spend time in this text this week, is intended, as is the entire Gospel of John, to bring about belief in our hearts. So I think we've done this thing in our world. Okay, I've done it. I, I just did it. Um, I've been sort of trying to, to come to a, a larger biblical understanding of, of the heart and what the heart is. Um, I gave you a lot of information this morning. So you get a lot of information. Information is meaningless unless it makes its way to your heart. The information also. The, the mind is one thing. The mind is a, is a, is a faculty, it's a device, it's a, it's a tool that we use. But there is no dualism with the heart. 
There is no heart and mind dichotomy that's set up in our world. Rather, the heart is holistic. The heart is the total package. We need to have a, an understanding of what's going on in our minds. We need to have an understanding of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is and a knowledge of Him. But the intent of that is to come down, to stir our affections, to create this, this, this new creation in Christ where we are constantly being transformed and made new. We're being prompted to take this information out where we say, now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where we can look at a promise like that and say, that is ultimately and unequivocally true for me. And not just for me, but for everyone I come in contact with. That, that understanding has been extended. That invitation has been extended to all people in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.